Welcome listeners to the Fall Festival of Fantasy, a celebration of the stories that whisk us away from the drab realities of life. But take heed, for beneath the shimmering surface lies dark forces known as bad humor, subpar vocal talent, and most evil of all, spoilers! So flee! Flee for your lives, mortals! If that's not your kind of thing, feel free to stop here. For everyone else, sit back and enjoy the show. Too much? No, I love it. Good. Well, hello, and welcome to Not So Young Adults, where two former teens try to recapture the glory days of their youth by discussing their favorite YA books to figure out what makes them so timeless. My name is Spencer, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host and our resident librarian. Jess, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Great. Football Sunday. Got my sport in. Yeah. Chiefs won. Yeah. they didn't, I would delete this podcast. <laughs> So this thing's week to week, y'all. I'm glad they did win, though. I'm very happy for you. Go sports. Go sports. Yeah, very fun. Uh, But isn't it nice, just the harsh summer rays of Sad Boy Summer are are alleviating. We got nice, cozy, mild weather here in fall festival season. Yeah, it was a vibe. Um, It's been a vibe. Yesterday, I even opened up the curtains. Wow. upstairs to let some shine in very brave we're gonna Just, get our vitamin d again I, I know hiding. yeah because we can stand to be outside and and to withstand the heat coming from the sun um but i am excited for it to be autumn and so we thought it would be the perfect time to jump into fantasy yeah very exciting we're taking hard left turn from the intense rays of sad boy summer into much more well I would say the weather here is not exactly fall-like, and neither is this book we're going to read. It's not no. exactly like warm and ple- or like cozy and pleasant. No, definitely not. But it is fun, and it is a fantasy series, which I have been told is all the rage with the kids these days. Yes. You, you book talkers love this stuff. And as you probably noticed from the title, we are talking about book one of the Folk of the Air series, The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Yeah, Holly Black is a New York Times bestselling, multi-award-winning author of dozens of books, but is particularly best known for the children's fantasy series, The Spiderwit Chronicles, which are pretty popular in my library. Mm -hmm. I bet. Um, The Cruel Prince, released in 2017, is the first book of The Folk of the Air, which takes place in the same universe as her earlier standalone fairy-based stories. Yeah, so it seems like she did a lot of, she wrote some fairy lore type books and then kind of went away from that and came back to it and i don't know which because i don't want to get spoiled by anything but apparently there's some characters from her earlier fairy books that are also in this series oh i didn't know that i don't think it's any main characters but i believe there's some right right i'm sure yeah so it's very exciting i haven't read a lot of fey books i think the only really fey fairy book i've read is a quarter thorns and roses and that series 
Yeah, which is fine. That's a good base point. And mm-hmm. I also think The Cruel Prince is also a good base point. I think if you read those two series, you get different sides of the same coin. Yeah, I would say the biggest difference is is Akatar or Court of Thorns and Roses is much more um it's a, it's more adult and it's it's more about these characters and they feel more human where this series what I'm liking about it so far is how distinctly unhuman and it's much more magical and off kilter in the world and how magic works in this one yeah but they they're both great i think akatar is maybe an easier intro to this but i think this is if you're wanting to get into these kind of fantasy stories this one is really great and it's not it's it's not na but i think it's pretty close to na it's it's much more mature than a typical ya book Definitely, but not in like a sexual way. It's, no, it's mature in in its violence. In its violence, and and also I just think in how it presents itself, how it tells its story, it feels like adults. Right. Well, because it's a lot of uh, like political intrigue. It's a lot of plotting and strategizing, mm-hmm. and strategizing in particular is is I feel like is what kind of makes it feel. A little bit older. Definitely. But um, uh, let's not just keep belaboring it. Well, let's talk about the book. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it. So Jess, could you start us off by reading the book's dedication? Of course I will. For Cassandra Clare, who was finally lured into fairyland. Mm, that's sweet. I do like that. The book also starts with a little poem, which I'm going to go ahead and assign to myself to read. Okay. If you guys would just um, bear with me. Children born of fairy stock. Never need for short or frock. Never want for food or fire. Always get their heart's desire. Jingle pockets full of gold. Merry when they're seven years old. I hope that's Mary is like happy, not they're like getting married as children. Same, I think it is. Oh no. Every fairy child may keep two strong ponies and ten sheep. All have houses, each his own, built of brick or granite stone. They live on cherries, they run wild. Oh, I'd love to be a fairy child. I mean, it sounds pretty fun, especially if you're an actual fairy. So that poem is I'd Love to Be a Fairy Child by Robert Graves. Just It just dawned on me. It's a weird thing. It's a weird poem. It is. It is. It seems old-timey. But now that we've got through poems, what's the story about? Well, we begin not in a fairy world, but in a mortal world with seven-year-old Jude Duarte as she watches TV with her twin sister Taryn and her older sister Vivi, unaware of the hooded figure approaching their door. The mysterious creature is named Madoc, a fairy, though he more resembles what we would probably call an ogre, with green skin and long teeth too big for his mouth. Madoc has come from the magical homeland of fairies known as Fairyland. I like it. it. We'll talk about it later. Uh, Maddock reveals that he is in fact Vivi's father, and their mother had once been married to him, but she ran away with a mortal man, who is Jude and her twin sister's father. Maddock kills the parents as revenge and takes all three girls back with him to Fairyland, feeling duty-bound to raise all of the children he'd just orphaned. Thanks? Fair enough, I guess. Cool. For the next 10 years, Jude and her sisters are raised in fairy. Madoc takes a new wife, a fae named Oriana, and the two have an all-fae child named Oak. Just a great name for a little fairy child named Oak. It's so cute. Cutie. Perfect. Despite the, let's call it awkward, start to their relationship, Madoc raises Jude and Taryn as if they were his own daughters. 
and while Maddox's position as the Grand General of Elfheim grants them protection and luxury, the two mortal siblings are treated as outcasts. They are frequently bullied by their fae peers, especially by Cardin, the youngest son of King Eldred. Who's not attractive at all. Don't even think about it. He's not. He's not even hot. <laughs> Him and his long fingers. Um, <laughs> Taryn hopes to gain status by marrying a member of the gentry, but Jude dreams of becoming a knight of the royal court. Though she excels at Maddox's lessons in combat and military strategy, he refuses to let her submit her candidacy for knighthood at the upcoming tournament. Mm, is it sexism or is there something more there? Or is there something more? He keeps saying, wait until the, what is it called? Coronation. Wait until the coronation. Wink, heavy wink. I wouldn't like get invested in this, this dynasty. Yep. This this particular set of rulers, I wouldn't like really get attached to wink. Yeah, or, wink. or pledge your fealty to yeah, them. I wouldn't be like on record as being loyal to them, wink, wink. <laughs> so not being able to submit her candidacy, Jude settles for simply participating in the tournament, which angers Cardin because he doesn't like her. He hates her, he only hates her. And <laughs> as well, it also angers his friends. However, Dane, the king's third-born son and presumed heir to the throne, is impressed by her performance in the tournament and offers her to work as a spy for him. Mm. The key thing about this is that human, uh, fae can't lie. Yeah, fairies they, cannot lie. They can deceive. They yes. can, and as we'll see, they will do that a lot. They talk around lies, but they can't outright say a, a non-truth. Yeah. But humans can, so she is a valuable asset in that regard. Correct. So in exchange for her service, Dane makes Jude immune to glamour, which is basically fairy mind control that they can use on humans. And so he makes her immune to glamour f from anyone besides him. Mm -hmm. So Dane's father had recently announced that he was abdicating the throne, and Dane needs Jude's help to make sure that his ascendancy goes as planned. And her first mission is to infiltrate Hollow Hall, the home of Dane's brother. I would, you, I guess, would be the next up, the only other, the other rival to yeah. the to the crown, right? Uh, Prince Balkin, uh, and in. Hollow Hall, Jude finds a letter implying that Bilkin plans to poison Dane before the coronation, or so it seems. So it seems, yeah. Jude takes the letter back to Dane, where she is introduced to the Court of Shadows. Ooh, oh, it's always cool to have a Court of Shadows. I know, aka Dane's team of spies with funny names. <laughs> There's the Bomb, a the Bomb, the Bomb, a pixie-like pyromaniac. You have the Roach. A gold-hungry goblin, and sexiest of all, mm. a half-human, half-fairy known as the Ghost. Uh, fun fact, the bomb, the roach, and the ghost are all nicknames I've had for poos in my life. <laughs> Stop. Poos. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Stools. Yeah, I see. Yes. Mm -hmm. I just like that you call them that. Mm -hmm. um, Jude then begins grueling spycraft training with the Court of Shadows that includes ingesting small amounts of poison to build immunity. The way I wrote that, it, it sounds like the Court of Shadows is making her do that, but I, I'm remembering that she just decides to do that on her own because yeah, she's well, wild. Yeah, well... It's um, smart, but... The bomb says, hey, have you ever... Do you know what this word is? Like, look it up, basically. Mm. And, and she's like, bomb? Yes, I know what bomb means. No, uh, the, uh, I can't remember what the word is, but about, it's the yeah. word for... Building immunity. Building immunity yeah. with, of poisons by ingesting small amounts. And so she looks it up and then decides to do it. Okay. 
because you know as a human she's very vulnerable very so vulnerable. she's going to take any chance she can get to make herself have an upper hand which would you is... say she's very vulnerable Ooh. at the same time Matic ramps up his... <laughs> Uh, Matic ramps up her training in sword fighting and military strategy. If that wasn't hard enough, Jude still has to attend classes where she's cornered by Valerian, one of the more homicidal members of Cardin's crew. He tries to strangle Jude, but she stops him with a good old-fashioned stab to the gut. Using an iron, cold iron blade, which is the failures are weak to. Yes. So... Yeah, this this particular fairy story kind of goes with the more traditional yes. um like lore on fairies where they are particularly vulnerable to iron and they can glamour humans and they cannot lie whereas like Akatar it, it flips some of those. those. Yeah. yeah, like Some some it does some it doesn't. Yeah. But very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away for Akatar cuz it it's not a huge thing in it, but there's some funny moments with yeah. when the humans think certain things at the fairies and then they're Exactly. Not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely say the difference between Akatar and this is that Akatar feels more fey to me, and this mm-hmm. feels more fairy. Yeah, for sure. If that makes sense. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's how it feels. I get it. I guess all I'm saying is Akatar is cooler and sexier. But this oh. one's more magical and fun. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I vibe with that. Another member of Cardin's gang, a sultry fae named Locke, seems to take an interest in Jude and invites her to one of their weird, sexy hedge maze parties. Be- but before the party, the two share a passionate kiss on a balcony, hot, and Locke, but and then Locke gives Jude one of his dead mother's dresses, not quite as hot. <laughs> Jude wakes up the next morning, well, evening technically. That's a weird thing where the fae are like nocturnal, right? So the time's all backwards. But I. I choose what I want to be true in a book, and I just think of it as normal times because it's too annoying to imagine everything at night when it's day and vice versa. I'm with you 1,000%. I also, uh, Cardin has like super long eyelashes that like touch his cheek when he closes his eyes. It's weird how they described it. That's weird. I might have misread it, but I was like, I'm not, I'm going to ignore that. (laughs) That's not my canon. Uh, but she wakes up the next quote unquote morning in Locke's bed with only a hazy memory of what happened the previous night. Mm. And then the next night, Valerian sneaks into Jude's room to finish the job, but she gets him all dead. Yeah, she kills him. She get guts, guts him. He's straight dead. Buries him out by the horses, or not the horses, but the stables. Yeah, well, also during that time, he curses her. Yes. Yeah. The coronation day arrives and Matic presents Jude with a sword crafted by her father, who used to live in Fairy as a blacksmith before running away with her mother. That's sweet. Like, oops, looks like it's still got some of your father's blood on it. Let me just clean that off. My bad. I mean, the fact that he kept it. I don't know. nice. Yeah. You know, a better gift would have been not killing my father. Fair enough. Fair enough? (laughs) No. That's the last time I'll make that joke. Okay. The coronation goes smoothly for about five minutes. Maddock and Balekin stage a coup that leaves every member of the royal family dead, save for the young Prince Cardin, who had drunkenly wandered off before the ceremony began. A search begins for the drunken prince, as Balekin cannot claim the throne unless he is crowned by a blood relative. 
So the Fae in attendance get so riled up with all the bloodshed that they kind of just break out into a crazed Bacchanal party thing. And the party's so wild that Jude is the only one sober enough to notice that Cardin's just kind of walking around in the middle of it. I guess he's wearing like a fox mask, but I think people could recognize Cardin. I'm sure they He's could. like the most they wanted person. Yeah, if anyone paid any attention. The Fae, the Fae don't seem like the most like pragmatic types no they're a bit more just like in revelry and debauchery and chaos yeah they're certainly not humans yeah not a lot of accountants no in the fey world um and so jude manages to escape with Cardin and takes him to the court of shadows where their headquarters are at yes she leaves him in the custody of the other members and then heads back home there jude learns that Locke has been toying with her this whole time has actually been are they betrothed Y- yeah. yeah. Well, now they are, yeah. Yeah, Locke is now betrothed with her sister, Taryn, with the implication that he was, like, kind of hoping to, like, seduce both of them. Right, yeah, that was kind of the end game. His whole thing is about he loves the story. He loves crafting a narrative. So he's, like, a theater kid. He's the worst possible person. Right. Which is awful. <laughs> uh, so feeling a bit betrayed, I'd say Jude gets into a sword fight with her sister, but the two are quickly stopped by Vivi and Maddox. There's real tension there where Vivi uses her magic, or yeah, I guess her magic. Yeah, she glamours them. them to stop, but it doesn't affect Jude, and she like literally almost kills Taryn because of it. She has to throw her sword mm-hmm. in order to keep from like actually stabbing her. And it's a huge betrayal of trust between them, because Vivi is half-faced, so she has these magical powers, but throughout the book, she's... She resents Maddox heavily for taking her to fairy world, and so she kind of rejects. Yeah, and she was older than the twins, so she has more of a ironically she has more of a connection with her human life and she keeps going back to the mortal world and kind of drags her sisters along but they are they they are so used to the fairy world they don't work well in the mortal world they can't handle it because it's just too weird for them yeah so it's a big deal that she would use that Vivi the glamour on her, her yeah. yeah also i'm just gonna say it now because i don't think i wrote it anywhere else v has a girlfriend yeah in the mortal world name is heather heather yeah my sister isn't that funny yeah, who's also a lesbian. That's also funny. Hmm. Anyways. <laughs> so the next day, Jude discovers that her little brother, Oak, is actually the child of Dane and Liope. Liriope. What? I was so off. Wow. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say it again. Uh, Liriope. Locke's mother, who was killed for sleeping with Dane, but I think more killed because of the unofficial heir she created. Right. Well, she, she was a... A consort? Is, yeah, she was a consort to the king and then slept with the king's son. Ooh. Awkward. And so she was killed for that. It's amazing they're even like upset by that. They seem they're just so wild here. They are, yeah. They also live forever, and so like things are gonna happen. Yeah. This makes Oak a member of the royal family, which gives him the power to crown Balkan or wear the crown himself. Mm-hmm. Nice to know that. Yeah, it's that's an important piece of information mm-hmm. here. Changes the game, as they say. Jude interrogates Cardin, but the tension-fueled exchange devolves into a surprisingly hot makeout session. I've never gotten this vibe from a book before. It's very different. It's the first time I've read something where it feels an actual like it's sexual true... physical interaction between a human and a non-human. Like it feels weird in that way. Where like in yeah. Akatar, you don't feel how different the Fae are from the humans, but like in this, the weird way that Cardin makes Jude feel like physically just puts you in a weird mindset. It's 
it's very one interesting. of it's one of my favorite renditions of an enemies to lover mm-hmm. trope um in that like they both or at least jude does not realize she's attracted to him but when you go back and you're reading her descriptions of the way that he looks or the way that he makes her feel it it gets a reaction out of her it's Mm -hmm. very like passionate in a way and she doesn't put that together in her head at all she just knows that he's eliciting these like visceral reactions out of her and she takes it as like she hates this guy and it's so delicious. It's it's really good. It, it reminds <laughs> me of how when the first few times I'd had conversations with you, I immediately threw up after. Oh, shut up. But I was just like, was so attracted to you. I can't stand that you. That my body was like, I want less of me so that I can, can have more of her. Listen, I'm just going to say this, nor- this doesn't happen in real life. So I don't believe you. Oh, I was just hung over. <laughs> Anyways, um, so Jude, she formulates a plan to steal the crown at an upcoming banquet. Then she'll have Cardin place Oak onto the throne in front of the other rulers. And then Cardin will act as a regent of the king until Oak comes of age. Probably good to point out that the crown, wearing of the crown and being crowned is not just a symbolic gesture. The king, the ruler of Elfim, this land is physically tied to it. Whoever's wearing the crown has a specific effect on the land and vice versa. And so when they are crowned, everyone is compelled to honor their their rule. It's not just a made-up thing like in human monarchy. Not a symbol. It is right. a literal... So, like, no one's going to be able to argue it. They are now attached to this person's king until they are weakened to a point and they can take over or do something, you know. Right. Jude then proposes a deal with Cardin. In exchange for his freedom, Cardin will be under her control for a year and a day. Cardin agrees, and the two set out to secure alliances with other rulers. At the banquet, Maddock and Jude duel over the crown. Jude is outmatched, but defeats him by poisoning his wine. So cool. And hers. It's so dope. It's literally the scene out of Princess Bride. Exactly. Where you're like, how'd you know which one was poison? He's like, I've just been ingesting poison this whole time. It didn't yeah, matter. I poisoned both of them. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Jude takes the crown, but instead of having Cardin crown Oak, she has Oak places the crown on Cardin. Oh, he didn't want to be king. What? He oh, did no. it. He did it. She uses his power over him and forces him to kneel and stay there. And then gets Oak to crown him. Anyway, so then Oak is whisked off into the human world with Vivi to stay there until he comes of age. Which is actually just a really sad moment. And he wants, he's asking her, like, when do I get to come back? And Jude tells him, when coming back becomes a difficult choice to make, that's when you know it's time. That's such a great line. I love that. Meanwhile, Jude moves into the royal palace, hoping to use her power over the king to smooth the path to Oak's ascension, which is going to be a little messy because she only has him for a year and a day. And it's going to take a lot longer than that for Oak to come of age. Yeah. Okay. That's the story. We left quite a bit out there. There's a lot of little side plots and things happening, but that's just motivation to go read it yourselves because honestly, it's fantastic. It's a very fun read. It is. And I highly recommend if you... Didn't want to read this one. Read the next one before we get to it because it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Very interesting. Well, now we're going to move on to talk about our personal proclivities for this week's book. 
and we are doing 10 of them. 11. I changed it last minute. We are doing 11 of them. In Deal the with it. In the of the NFL season. <laughs> because there's 11 yeah. players on each team on the field at any time. Okay. We were doing 10, and then I, th- I remembered one I wanted to do, so. Gotcha. Okay. Go. Number one. As we all know, a YA fantasy series is no better than the map at the beginning of the book. I agree. And I love the tone that gets set with this map. It's unique, I feel like. It's very simple. And it's, it's almost whimsical. Child- it's whimsical. Right. It's almost childlike. It feels in- like it's from a younger audience fairy book, which mm-hmm. I think adds to the dissonance between the idea of fairies and a fairy world and just how awful it is in reality. It's just very cute. My favorite is down in the bottom. And I noticed this before I even knew who or what it was. But Jude at one point, instead of a horse, she rides a, a giant toad. Uh-huh. And I just love the little drawing of Jude on the toad. It's so cute. Oh, yeah. It is slapping. very adorable. It just makes me very happy. It's cute. I think another tie-in with the map. In the story, she steals a book of Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And and it kind of makes me think a lot of this book and the parallels between the two in that like Alice in Wonderland today, what we perceive that as is this like whimsical, like mm. fun, safe ish kind of place to well, we be. Think of the like Disney version. Exactly. When in reality, if you're reading this book, it's pretty crazy and like a very scary place. And like these people aren't these characters in the book are not acting rationally, like right. with human rationality. And so Quote it's like human rationality as no, much as we have it. Exactly. And I feel like that very much parallels how this book is handling fairies. It's not your normal fairyland. It's mm-hmm. more back at the roots of the like fairy lore and that these are mm-hmm. creatures of different morality. These are creatures who are different. This The whole book, feels off-putting in a very interesting way yes everything's off i know i like how you describe it it as off-kilter just like and and alice in wonderland is also like that way that's a great connection though that's a great point with the alice in wonderland thing because i do feel it is exactly that vibe just a little more violent right but iteration but it's that same feeling yeah and this map it's in in its like whimsicalness Mm -hmm. kind of portrays what you might think fairyland would be right i love it that's a great point number two the complicated relationship between jude and maddox it's just so num, 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 oh num, it's good. such a fun relationship um so the main quote that i'm going to associate with this topic is when jude is talking about her mother thinking about her mother she says quote sometimes i just want to hate her if i can hate her then it won't be so bad that i love him him being madic a lot going on in there he yeah. raised her like it's yeah. it's one of the things i love most about this story too is just kind of it shows the complexity of human emotions and feelings mm-hmm. and and sometimes we can't help the way that we feel jude Definitely of the siblings, well, especially Vivi, but she seems more like daddy's girl. She seems like she's the most like Maddox. Yes. And the most connected to him. So they have more of a relationship. Definitely. And because there's a, they talk about Jude falling asleep as Maddox reads her battle strategy books it's just really cute another another m- cute moment between the two um she explains 
I think of my first ride to Fairy and the sound of Taryn and Vivi wailing. I think of Maddox's grim expression, jaw locked, doubtlessly unused to children, no less human ones. His ears must have been ringing. He must have wanted to shut us up. It's hard to think anything good about Maddox in that moment, with our parents' heart's blood on his hands. But I will say this for him. He never enchanted away our grief or took our voices. He never did any of the things that might have made the trip easier for him. Yeah, there are quite a few humans in Fairy. Yeah. The vast, vast majority of them are just slaves slaves that are just glamored into they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they're household workers. Some of them are consorts, to use a politer word. Yeah. Um, And and he could have done that with them. Could have killed them. Yeah, could have left them in, in, like, the real world, mortal world. Arguably would have been better. I mean, they would have gone into the foster program, so who knows? As we'll see in my ne- my next one here, I think that may have been a better result for Jude, at least. But I, just one more thing I wanted to add, and it's a moment I forgot to put in here, but I loved there's a moment where Maddox is talking to Jude, and I forget exactly what's happening, but he's like, I, and I'm paraphrasing heavy here, but he's like, I, my, my thing is I desire war and combat and battle. I seek that out. That is me. The only thing I have ever regretted is denying that about myself. And he's kind of telling Jude, like, yo, you is who you is, and you can't run from that, so do what you got to do. And it was, it was a nice, subtle moment between them where he's kind of telling, teaching her a lesson. Yeah. That, uh, telling her something about herself that she maybe does not know at that moment that I really liked between them. Uh, but number three, I appreciate the book making the Fey world, as we mentioned, just so brutal. Dare I say, cruel? You may dare. <laughs> um, particular at the in uh, chapter six, which is basically just Jude giving us a rundown of her more traumatizing moments in the Fey world growing up. She starts with at age nine when one of Maddox's guards just bites off the end of one of her fingers. Wild. Just because he doesn't like her. And he's like, if you tell Maddox, I'm going to gobble you up, child. <laughs> Yeah, what the heck? And then uh, when a random fae finds an 11-year-old Jude hiding during like a party at their home, he grabs her, takes her outside, force-feeds her fae wine, which is really potent to humans, and then just like kind of makes her dance around a hill for hours until he gets bored and then just leaves her, and she's later found just like vomiting and crying alone. Yeah. Awful. Very not great. And then, for some reason, I found this one, like, the most upsetting. When she was 14, Jude is playing with Oak when he accidentally glamours her. And not really understanding what he's doing, he just forces her to play with him for hours and hours. And and then, at one point, makes Jude slap herself, which he just finds hilarious. So he just does it. So he does it over and over and over again until a maid finds them with Jude just red-faced, crying, and puts an end to it or gets someone to put an end to it and that one's so scary because like if just the child having power that's exactly what they would do yeah so freaky it's Ugh. it's a lot of things like it reminds me of um in twilight where you can't have baby vampires just like yeah. to have that much power at the whim of a child is not good is not great and there's another one when jude's an adult and they cardin and the gang like feed feeds her fey fruit yeah which is basically like 
heroin to humans. Yeah. As it's the most addictive thing to them, but it makes them just super giddy and happy and they use it to like pull pranks on them. So they'll like feed a human fave fruit and then put him in like ragged clothes and tell him, You're a king, we've made you this or like how you Mac- look beautiful. How uh what is it? It's not Macbeth, it's um is it, the is Shakespeare it? play, the Taming of the Shrew. Oh yes, it's very Taming of the Shrew where oh oh great call. Yeah, it's literally the opening of Taming of the Shrew where they find a drunk and then he's passed out and then they like put him in royal clothing and then he wakes up and they're like, You're a king now which is funny because then he immediately is like, You're the queen? Let's go make babies. And she's like, uh, how about we watch this play? Uh, that's a great call. It's exactly like that. But I think the most upsetting thing in this book is something that doesn't even come to pass, but it's just threatened, which I find truly diabolical. It's a curse Cardin threatens Jude with. It says, we can curse you to wither away for want of a song you'll never hear again. Just kill me. Could you uh, yeah, imagine? For you, yeah. It's haunting. I mean, There's it, a song it, you're it trying makes to think me of? think of that one podcast where they're yes. looking for that song. Oh, yes. That's so good. Yeah, there's a this is fantastic podcast where this dude thinks he remembers a song. I won't tell you if it's real or not, but he thinks he remembers a song. And it's all these people trying to find it. They have like professional musicians recreate it. And next thing you know, you have dozens of people trying to uncover the truth about this song that may or may not be real mm-hmm, imagine mm-hmm. that but it never ends nightmarish kill me number four i love the fact that fairies are not able to lie and i think it is such a fun storytelling device basically they cannot lie but they can still deceive um one good part where this like takes effect is whenever jude is playing two truths and a lie with dane Mm, yeah Um, yeah and just also how (laughs) whenever jude also like lies to Cardin or like is being sarcastic right and he's like i don't like this (laughs) (laughs) it makes me uncomfortable because with with dane she's like my name's jude i was born on this day my favorite color is this blah blah blah." and she's like what where is the lie and he's like really off put by it Cardin has the same reaction he's like stop doing that yeah i don't like when you do that makes them very uncomfortable (laughs) Um, another great part is when Cardin um, and Jude are trying to leave the coronation ball mm, and yeah. he works his magic, his word magic with the guards. He, he does really intense wordplay where everything he said is technically true. However, when you're listening to it, it could have a different meaning and it was like right. really convoluted. It, great time for it, me. There's too much context that we would have to explain to say that. right right but it is a really cool way for them to get out of this situation and him utilizing his wit right and you as the reader are as fused as jude he makes it seem like he's taking jude when she's actually taking him but she doesn't know if he means it or not it's very good and yeah <laughs> um and then we also get this beautiful line um would you be cardin's words yeah, yeah. and i'll be the narrator have i told you how hideous you look tonight Cardin asks, leaning back in the elaborately carved chair, the warmth of his words turning the question into something like a compliment. No, I say, glad to be annoyed back into the present. Tell me. I cannot. I think they like each other. He thinks they like each other. He thinks she's hot. 
I just really like no, that I because like that. I like the line, have I told you how hideous you look today? Because it's kind of being, it's implying that she is. Right. However, it's not technically. I can't say that you are. <laughs> no, I love that. That's a great call. Speaking of Jude and Carded, their dynamic, I realized, is kind of Jude slowly realizing she has a dominatrix fetish. Oh, gosh. Or kink. I should say it's not a fetish. She has a dominatrix kink. You brought it up earlier, but when she interacts with Cardin and she has these weird visceral reactions, uh, one in particular, she mentions feeling irrational panic when she touches his skin, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which if you think about fatuation, love, lust, you could describe it as irrational panic if you had no context for what it was. Exactly. Which I love. So good. And then when interrogating Cardin, we get this moment. I place the tip of the blade against the bottom of his chin. I lean toward him, close enough for a kiss. His eyes widen. The look in his face is some commingling of panic and desire. It is a heady feeling, having power over someone. (laughs) You really do want me, I say, close enough to feel the warmth of his breath as it hitches. And you hate it. I change the angle of the knife, turning it so it's against his neck. He doesn't look nearly as alarmed by that as I might expect. Not nearly as alarmed as when I bring my mouth to his. Oh, oh. the part. And then we get this interesting description. Um, Kissing Cardin feels like taking a dare to run over knives. Like an adrenaline strike of lightning. Like the moment when you swum too far out to the sea and there's no going back. Only cold water closing over your head. And for a long moment after our lips touch, he's still as a statue. His eyes close, lashes brushing my cheek. I shudder, as you're supposed to when someone walks over your grave. <laughs> Great Girl, writing. You need a therapist, though. Uh, uh, she I'm needs in, help. I really like <laughs> She's it. She's processing a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then worse, far worse. I like this. I like everything about kissing him. The familiar buzz of fear. The knowledge I am punishing him. The proof he wants me. She likes to dominate. I'm about it. Love that. For she doesn't her. know why she's having fun, but she's I know. having fun. Exactly. Um, so, number six the royal court is divided into three factions or circles of influence uh, prior to it being entirely decimated. Um, first one is um, the Circle of Grackles, and this is led by Prince Balkin. And I know you probably like this a lot because you have um, a hatred for Grackles. We have a certain dynamic, me and the Grackle. <laughs> uh, but the Circle of Grackles is the largest and most influential, and they are committed to decadence and debauchery. A Grackle is not an animal I would describe as having self-restraint. Right. Um, and, you know, this could be where the folk of the air come into play, because all of these circles are birds. Oh, that's such a good point, Jess. I, just I We were just discussing, like, where's the air? Where's, <laughs> where's the, the folk, folk of the, the air? air? They're all on land. Yep. Makes sense. That's yeah. a good call. Yeah. So then we also have the Circle of Larks, which is run by Princess Elowin. They value art above all else, and they even allow some humans into the group. How scandalous. Uh, well, as long as those humans are artistic in some sort of way. Yeah, there's the royal poet, mm-hmm. who is a human, mm-hmm. who's a weird human. Yeah. He's like weird, homeless-looking dude with beard, and he's got thorn branches in his hair and stuff it's a vibe he's a vibe yeah but he's like also the the oracle basically Mm -hmm. that's kind of the 
what I understand. Yeah. And then the third one is the Circle of Falcons, and that is led by Prince Dane. They claim to value honor most, but actually it's just power. But it's comprised of knights, warriors, and strategists. I think it's safe to say you and I are both going to be in the Larks. I don't know. Part of me is like, oh, I want to be in like the, the Grackles. I want to be all debaucherous and party all the time. But uh, scary. Yeah, I think I would just be like put off by a lot of it. I think you're right. I think the Circle of Larks would be good. But I'm not very artistic in any kind of way. Yeah, but I feel like they would also be like the science ones. And, Fair like, enough. Back when like scientists were also like poets and stuff you know what i mean right right like da vinci types okay that makes sense speaking of lore number seven i just want to point out a few little bits of world building i really enjoy i always love in magical places like this where they just have weird little things that kind of pop up Mm -hmm. little off kilter things one is the lake of mass which is really cool so if you look into the lake instead of seeing your reflection you see someone else who has or at some point will look into the lake at Super just a random fun. time really yeah. cool so jude always goes there to hope hoping to see her mom uh there's also the root men very fun. just have like a little throwaway line but they're described as moss they're described like this uh moss covers their shoulders and crawls up their bark cheeks wind whistles through their ribs they make a beautiful and solemn procession through the forest. I love that. Really cool. Just little moss men or root men just <laughs> going about their day, whistling. Yep. Um, and then they talk about fairy music, which is so enchanting to humans that once they start dancing to it, you can't stop until you either die of exhaustion or fae you out of it. Yeah. I love those kind of things. Similar to the fae fruit, where just yeah. all consuming to the uh-huh. fae. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, fae not may not be able to poo. Yeah, fairies don't excrete or just excrete like that. Mm. Yeah, I think they're just magic. That's magic, which is honestly pretty cool. So, do they like have to construct toilets for the twins? Yeah, they. Yeah, they. uh, There's already humans there. Well, yes, but like the chamber yeah the toilet room or chamber pot or whatever has to be created and yeah they do mention that Mm -hmm. oh and they also mentioned um fey menstrual cycles yes jude introduces the topic of i know what you're thinking and then once you start talking about periods like oh i was not thinking about that actually at all i was (laughs) fair enough i guess different priorities you and i but (laughs) they're awful apparently yeah but they don't have tampons, so she but has to buy them in the, the mortal world. world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, even in the world of fairies, tampons are still not uh, provided to people. They still have to go out of their way to get them. Yep. I find interesting. Um, and this is not really a fairy-specific thing, but this book has maybe my favorite euphemism now, which is green gowning. Yep. Is, um, Rolling around in the grass. Getting your gown all green. Green gowning. Green gowning. I really like that. Another thing I really like at number eight are the descriptions of Oriana. And we've had a uh, discussion about this, (laughs) but describes her skin as the bluish color of skim milk. Wait, what? I think skim milk is white, but who knows? What what milk are they looking at? Who knows? Who knows? Um, But then Jude describes her saying, quote, her skin smells like the air after a snowfall, which I think is really beautiful. That's great. And then there's this part that Oriana herself claims that her people once had wings. 
and quote, though I've never had a pair of my own, sometimes I feel the lack of them. I love that. Same. It's really that's good. A great line. Ugh, yeah. And so I good. think it also parallels to her just kind of always being kind of trapped in a way, yeah. right? Because she was originally the king's con- one of the king's consorts, along with um, Liriope, L- along one. with Liriope, and then she leaves that. But now she's burdened with oak and and right. having to be connected to Matic in this way, and so she's kind of always been trapped, bird without its wings. Yeah, no, I, I like that, and that's probably what it is. I I also thought of there's something there of like not having a child of her own. Having to yeah. raise this other, there's kind of what you're saying, but having to raise someone else's child, and I can imagine feeling a lack of your own connection to them. For lack sure. Of something of you is missing in your life, but it's very good. It's a very good line, very evocative. Yeah, it is. And she also, like, I think along with what I was saying, she says, she says, it is no easy thing to be a lover of the High King. Mm. It is to always be a pawn. I love that. Yeah, she's got a hard life, and uh, Sucks thought suck. she yeah deserved a little part of the episode for her. Definitely. For number nine, going back through the book when writing this, I found this passage very interesting. When we first meet Maddock in the prologue, like page three, uh, one of the first things he says is, I've seen many impossible things. I have seen the acorn before the oak. I have seen the spark before the flame. But never have I seen such as this, a dead living a woman, a dead woman, <clears throat> a dead woman living, a child born from nothing, which is interesting because mm-hmm. f- first off, there I've seen the acorn before the oak seems to be a little bit of foreshadowing for the oak reveal, which is we've learned about through these. Jude finds these golden acorns mm-hmm. that contain a message that tells that she figures out means that oak is the royalty. Uh huh. And then I don't know quite what I what it's supposed to be, but. He says a child born from nothing in response to Jude's mom saying that her and, and Taryn are, are nothing. They're no one. They have no parents, basically. Because he's like, who are, whose kids are these? And she's like, no one's. I don't know if there's going to be some deeper thing later in the books about that. If there's going to be some more foreshadowing. I hope not. I hope they are just normal mortals. I did just realize the title of the third book. Oh, the third book? Yeah. Um, the Queen of Nothing. Oh, it's okay. Okay, there's some stuff going on there. <laughs> Interesting. Great point. Uh-huh. So, because it seemed deliberate. Uh huh. You don't call your protagonist a, a child of nothing twice in half a page mm-hmm. for no reason. There's another little bit what seems like foreshadowing, but I don't quite know yet. Maybe we could figure this out right now. But uh, Valerian, as he's dying at Jude's hands, or is this when he stabs her? Where he curses her? Yeah. Is when he's dying. Okay, so when Valerian is dying at Jude's hands, he says, I I curse you. Three times I curse you. As you've murdered me, may your hands always be stained with blood. May death be your only companion. Great last words. And then he says, may you, and he gets cut off. Yeah. Or which, he stops. So I have a couple of thoughts on this, and I was thinking about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, one, he could be, that could be a true curse. But right. what I'm thinking because he says, I curse you, I curse you three times, I curse you. And yet, preceding that, he only is able to say two curses. So without that third curse complete, does that even mean that those curses are going to hold true? Mm. Or is this something that's just going to sit in Jude's head? 
which it certainly does because there's this one line where she's talking basically about her hope for Oak. Um, and she says, she says, at least Oak would not grow up as I have with death as my birthright. Mm, that's good. And, and, and that kind of, it haunts her periodically throughout the rest of the novel. Well, doesn't she kill three people in the book? Yeah, it sounds right. She kills him. Him. She kills that spy. Uh-huh. Who turns out to be Maddox henchman. Yeah. And one could say she kills the a human woman she tries to save, but the human woman kills herself because she doesn't want to she can't handle leaving the fairy world. That is true. But that also at least adds into when Jude tries to do this good thing ends in death anyways. It's just all she can do exactly yeah Mm. (laughs) but but it also just makes me wonder like again is this something that she just thinks is put upon her or is it actually or because what is it the immunity she have from glamour is that different from curses um yes i think it is different and i don't know that curses are even necessarily real Mm. Or if they are, like, they're, they're certainly going to be a, a different type of power. Right, right. Well, because Cardin threatens to curse her to, to be a want of a music. But we don't know if that's different from a specific type of glamour. Right, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Definitely something we'll have to come back to For as we sure. read more of these books. Ten, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Seely versus Unseely. I'm very happy you're doing this because I'm two-thirds of the way through the second book. And I don't remember what the difference is and I'm, I'm too embarrassed to look it up and I will help you out so in fairy world fairies are separated into two main groups and this is based off of Scottish fairy lore um, in which you have the seely fae or fairies and the unseely the seely are associated with light and they tend to be more benevolent as a whole and the unseely are dark and they are more inherently evil. However, both are dangerous to humans because, of course, they don't have human morality. But within the world of fairy, the Seely are the more... Benevolent. Be- yeah, benevolent. The Unseely oh, are sorry. malevolent. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the Court of Teeth, the Court of Moths, and the Undersea are all comprised of Unseely fae. Um, and then you have the court of termites under My Lord, name. under yeah, I do too, under Lord Royben, and they are actually a joint court made up of both Seely and Unseely Fay. Mm. And so then all of these courts pledge fealty to their ruler, and then that ruler pledges fealty to the High Court of Elfheim. Glad you broke that down because. Um... It gets a little muddled in the book, I feel it, like. It does, yes. But I don't know that it necessarily has any sort of huge oh, yeah. importance. But it, it's nice to kind of know the difference between the two. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it gets a little confusing, but it doesn't particularly matter as far as what you need to know as far as what's happening. Number 11 is just a bunch of words that I can't tell whether they are real and I haven't heard them before or if they're just made up by the author. And yes... I know all words are made up. Shut up, Justin. Justin was a particularly pretentious stoner in high school. I see. He would be like, well, but words are just like, just have the meaning we give them. I was like, yeah, you, you crack the code, Justin. <laughs> I Yeah, the F-bomb is only bad because we say it's bad. That's kind of the point. <laughs> exactly. 
But if you make up a word right now and nobody else adheres to your meaning of that word, that it is not a word. No, it's just you just said a sound. Exactly. Anyway, it can become a word. So what are these words? Sorry. If you know, Jess, help me out with these because you've read more fairy lore than I have. Absolutely. Um, Hob or Hobbs. I know like a hub goblin. I don't know what the word means not attached to goblin. Yeah, I think it's just, I've only known it attached to, it's like a type of fairy. I don't even know what a hobgoblin is. I think they're, they're like akin to brownies, like just like small um, household spirits. Hmm. Uh, we also have Griggs, hmm. Trixie Boggins, which sounds like a Lord of the Rings term. I feel like Trixie Boggins, Trixie for sure. Trixie's is, a word. It's a word. Boggins. I'm not as familiar with Boggins. I mostly put this here because I love this little phrase. They say Trixie Boggins and Laughing Foxkin. Just fun words. Those are a bunch yeah, of fun words put fun. together. I don't know that they have any sort of meaning. No, but they they, I, they sound good coming out my mouth. <laughs> Guillons? Oh, it's G-W-Y-L-O-I-O-N-S. Guillons? No idea. Ferdarig? Nope. I'm sure that's some sort of Gaelic term. That sounds like a Gaelic term. Mm-hmm. Fagarig? Shag full, full like as in a F O A L yeah like a like a deer. little horse or uh, like a horse I think it's a horse you're right yeah, who knows that might be something more like that shag was foul oh nope um a bar guest that sounds yes I think that is something in fairy lore boggin that one I feel like I've heard before boggin b o g g a n a bogan perhaps that or no nope. and then my favorite shy folk. Shy folk. Oh, the shy, oh, folk. Little shy folk. No, that's very cute. I don't know if they're like an established type of creature. Well, I don't know. I, I've been I've been living one <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our personal proclivities. Ribbit. What? What is that Ribbit. noise? Ribbit. Oh. oh, I, I didn't. T- I didn't tell you, babe. My car's in the shop. I'm going to have to take my toe down the road to pretension. It's going to take forever. I love that she's like writing this little toad. It's it's the cutest thing. It really is. It's my favorite part of the book, I think, <laughs> besides all the sexy parts. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all right, guys. It's time to take a journey down the road to pretension where we take deeper look into all the things the author's doing to tell their story in a much more interesting and unique way. Today, we'll be discussing the very exciting, the very sexy... Character motivation. Okay. Mm, I can I can tell everyone's just slip sliding around in their seat. They're so excited. I really like this topic. I do too, and I think it's actually I think what the author's doing with the character motivation is actually really interesting. So motivation is obviously super important for character writing. Why they make the choices they make, why they act the way they do, what their goals are. And the best character writing tends to not be so much about what their motivation is but how well that motivation is conveyed to the reader and how that is played out in the story. Exactly. Like what the choices that are made regarding that motivation. Right. And is does that motivation make sense? Is it believable? Does it feel earned? Et cetera. And I think the thing I appreciated most about Cruel Prince was just how well the author, Holly Black, was able to portray the complex and nuanced motivations of her characters, especially Jude and Taryn, who 
I'm going to be focusing on for this. So in fantasy stories, especially ones with relatively complex lore like this one, you almost always have to have a fish-out-of-water character or characters to help explain the world to the reader. And while like, I don't mind this trope, it's just so practical and it just makes the writing process easier and it's just easier to relate to a character who's discovering this world the way you are, so I can't really fault it. But that being said, I really appreciated how Holly Black used kind of a different approach to it. So excluding the prologue, when we are with Jude and Taryn, they aren't just humans who have been suddenly dropped into the Fey world, say like in an Akatar or even like Harry Potter, where he's just kind of thrown in. Right. Everyone else knows what's happening, but he doesn't. We meet them as mortals who have grown up in this strange magical world. Their interactions with it are different and they've already been shaped by it. Yeah. And so as we talked about before, that world's pretty messed up. Some would to say, say the least, honestly. Like chronically traumatic. So Jude and Taryn grew up constantly being bullied, if not outright tortured and abused, both physically and psychologically. Yeah, their like base level was like fear. <laughs> right. Just at minimum, they were worried about everything. This upbringing manifests in the two characters in interesting but different ways. Yeah. For Jude... We, we get to learn the most about Jude, because she's our main character, obviously. For her, this abuse manifests into deep desire for power and status. Basically, that manifests in her dreaming of becoming a knight. As she puts it, once I become a knight, I will be beyond their reach. She will be safe for the first time she feels in her life. Yeah, which is just kind of heartbreaking. It's really, really sad. It's uh, so a wanting safety and respect makes sense with Jude's horrifying upbringing at the hands of the Fae, starting with her now dad basically murdering her parents. God. That's her first interaction with Faye, and it, I guess it gets better, technically, but or it's really just, never good. she just gets better? Right. I mean, like, it doesn't get worse. It, doesn't, it can't really get worse than watching your parents get murdered. It's yeah. the only thing I could say about the bullying. Yeah. Uh, but what makes Jude's character, like, really interesting to me is just how that desire slowly builds and transforms as the story progresses. As Jude starts to actually gain power and status, like working for Dane or when she captured Cardin, her hunger for it only gets stronger. And I love that. I know. It's so great. And for me, that moment I felt like I truly understood who Jude was at her core, who she, like fully was was when dane meets with her and uh, chastises her for stabbing valerian which risked exposing her immunity to glamour but also could have killed them the first time she nearly killed them and that could have upended their whole operation right exactly and so as punishment and as a test of loyalty dane tells her to stab herself through the hand with a knife not with glamour. She has to choose to do it. Yes. So considering to stab herself or not, Jude thinks to herself, I have tried to be better than them and I have failed. What could I become if I stopped worrying about death, about pain, about anything? If I stopped trying to belong, instead of being afraid, I could be something to fear. Sounds an awful like awful lot like she's becoming less like a human. More like a fae mm-hmm. who are not worried about death and pain and anything like that. Exactly. So at, up to this point, Jude refuses to bow down to Cardin's bullying. She fights back against Valerian and even bests him. 
and she becomes a member of the Court of Shadows. All of this she does on her own terms. Choosing to kneel to Dane's demands shows us that she's willing to sacrifice the one thing that up till this point as a reader, we would suspect she values more than anything, her pride. Yeah. We think that that's what she's motivated by. She has this pride. She wants to feel like the sense of status and be better, but it's not that. It's something way darker, and I love that little twist on it. I I agree. I think that's part of why I love this book series so much. Mm -hmm. And it's because you don't often see that in a female main character. Yeah, especially not a female character. No, they usually often reject that power. Right. Mm-hmm. But I love that she's hungering for it. It's great. And and similar to the way she doesn't understand the feelings of lust or desire for Cardin, mm-hmm. she kind of realizes suddenly that she has this desire for power and it kind of surprises herself the way she feels about obtaining more power over yeah. others. Yeah. And so this growing desire culminates in her choosing not to bring Cardin to Balkin, which would have granted her the knighthood she'd won at the beginning of the book. It would have given her everything she wanted at the start of the story. Yeah. But she doesn't want that anymore. That's not enough. Now her motivations are far greater. Oh, yeah. And as she puts it, she's contemplating the power she would get from a knighthood status or whatever she might be granted for basically getting Balkin crowned, she thinks true power isn't granted. True power can't be taken away. So that's the level she's desiring now, she's aiming for. Exactly. And for her, that power is total control over a Fae's will, which mirrors the control so many Fae have used on her throughout this story. Yeah. Multiple Fae different ways have glamored her, controlled her, manipulated her very senses and physical abilities. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's an accident that this book ends with her having that power over a Fae. Yeah. Great mirroring, a great setup. I love this stuff. It's just so expertly done and it's very subtle and you're not really... It's not until the end, at least for me, that I realized like how demented Jude is with this lust for power she like starts out as like like a harry potter-esque character and ends up being like a slytherin basically Mm -hmm. where she's like all that matters is i achieve what i want to achieve it's very fascinating yeah exactly and i don't think it's an accident that this motivation for power seems to intensify the more she works with interacts with other fey you know dane in the court of shadows and then Cardin. she Mm -hmm. learns from them she becomes a lot more like them yeah and um, and so Jude's motivation, ironically, leads her to becoming more like Faye, which the author contrasts really nicely with the other human main human character we have, uh, or twin sister. Which I love that they're twins. It's so good. It's it's like a twin study, in that you have two people that have undergone the same. Are you about to talk about that? I was literally about to say next. <laughs> we are a couple of nerds. <laughs> By what I was going to say is much like a scientific study, having twin characters is really convenient because yeah. you have a baseline and you have you have a control group, exactly. basically. Yeah. But I think it's really cool because what Holly Black seems to be doing is as Jude is becoming more fairy-like, she's been learning from them, being more in their world, 
Taryn's almost becoming more human. She's becoming smaller. She's just going off to be married. She just wants to be nothing. So they have two, they have opposite strategies. Jude wants power and control over the Fae. Taryn basically just wants them to forget about her and like not notice her. She just wants to blend in with the shadows. Yeah. Which I think are both perfectly reasonable and understandable motivations. Yeah, I I agree. And so despite these being opposite motivations, they feel realistic and honest to their characters because of how the author has set this up and has played out their lives. And I think doing all that within a book that's already including so much lore and world building and politics and stuff is a true testament to the ability of Holly Black's writing and what I think elevated this book for me to just a, a very fun story to something very interesting as a piece of literature. And I just wanted to talk about that. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's the differences between their motivations is mm-hmm. one of the better things about this book. Right. And how they came from the same place and they're twins. And it's just how one, you could go either way, mm-hmm. and they, but they, they both seem correct. Yeah. Um, I have this little uh, passage here. It doesn't really fit in to anything I wrote. I couldn't make it work in my piece. And maybe we can cut this if the episode's running long. I just love this part so much. I just love this line. Yeah, give it to us. I don't remember when. Do you remember when this happens? She says Um, this. Oh, this happens at the tournament when she basically defeats Cardin. She stands up to Cardin and says this to him. Yeah, so she stands up to Cardin at the tournament, best Sam, and she says, you may win in the end. You may ensorcel me and hurt me and, and humiliate me. I will make sure you lose everything I can take from you on the way down. I promise you this. This is the least of what I can do. So oh, good. She's so cool. Uh, she's such a badass. Love I love her. Jude. Jude Duarte. Jude's Amy. cool character. Yeah. That's another point you mentioned earlier. I just love getting this from a female character too. Yeah. You don't get that a lot. No. It's it's really r- rare in, in that oftentimes they have power thrust upon them very true very um, true as from the words of uh she's the man uh duke orsino yep mm-hmm. that's um, where that comes from <laughs> but oftentimes they have power thrust upon them and they d- resent that they reject it in a way and and, right. and, and like usually the story concludes with them accepting that power but it's it's different here. It's flipped. She's she's wanting that power. She's right. striving for that power. Scraping and crawling. Exactly. Desperately wanting it. And yeah, you just don't get because it's one. It's like that. You don't get that from a lot of female characters. And it's that thing where like true equality is when you can have a character that is not only female but like messed up and like not just perfect or just cool and tough, but like she's complex and like kind of bad. Right, like and, a bit of an anti-hero. Yeah, and it's cool. It, it, I'm, I know, I'm sure she's not the first or only character like this, but you don't see it a lot, and I think it's really cool. Yeah. And it's a more nuanced take to, to some other, like, strong... Like, some characters in Agatar, there's, like, strong female characters that are really cool and inspiring, but like you said, yeah, a lot of them are, like, begrudgingly fighters, or, like, they have power thrust upon them. Not even just combat power, but, like stations positions yeah i mean i think of also like shadow and bone right like she's just all of a sudden gifted this power and now she has to deal with that right she gets this power uh spoilers yeah sorry (laughs) uh but Um, uh yeah but yeah a lot of these big fantasy books that we read 
and it's not that there are bad female characters in those, but I like but that you get the, get one who's just kind of oh, like, not bad, like yeah. a bad person, kind of, or like kind of corrupt or like obsessed, yeah. addicted almost. It's great. It's, there, it's delicious. There is a kind of a theme of addiction too with the fae fruit thing and then kind of being addicted to power oh yeah so it's a lot going on but anyways let's uh pull off this old dusty old road let's stop spoiling books that we're not even here to talk about and let's just get to uh old y information station let's put that old toad in the, the stall there and yeah sit on a toad stool listen to jess talk about some stuff um okay yeah so which, which books have your as your school band this week no, we're not going to talk about that, but I am going to talk about a few. So we're in fantasy fall, right? Fall fantasy. Fall fantasy festival. And I kind of just wanted to highlight some of the September releases Ooh. of fantasy books. Exciting. In, in both the YA and then I'll give you a couple of NA. First, I'll start with the YA. We have one that's called Jacqueline and the Twisted Beanstalk by Callie Thomas. Oh, I think I've seen this. Yes. It's part of the Autumn Fairy Tales collection, which is like eight that's what we're doing. different cozy retellings mm. of a fairy tale. I do believe that they are all like standalones, so you can read them in any particular order if you wish. But the Beanstalk one is what's going to be released this month. And I think I might check it out. I don't know if I'll read the Beanstalk one or if I'll check out maybe one of the other ones. Is this like a sexy Beanstalk? No. Mm. But I do think there is slight romance, but it's not. It's YA. So I will read it only if Jacqueline falls in love with the Beanstalk itself. Oh, uh, like bit, it's like, not that genre. Ooh, you know, that would be a fun episode is do bizarro versions of other books. How, how do you make a di- one story bizarro? bizarro? Oh, that's exactly. that's happening. <laughs> Um, so the second one that I would like to highlight is The Quest for the Kraken's Ink by Ooh. Marie... Oh, how do I pronounce it? Curie. It's... No, it's like Marie Helen LeBalt. I don't really know. But this book is book four in the penultimate installment of the Defenders of the Realm series. So wait, this... wait, wait. It's book four in the penultimate? It's the pen- penultimate. So there's five. Oh, okay. Books. I thought you meant this was book four. There's four books in this other, there are... this section of, that is the penultimate section of this grander story. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I'm thinking of One Piece, mean. which is like that. I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. No, so this is book four in this Defenders of the Realm book series. Book five actually, I think, comes out in November. So oh, if, if you're someone who needs to read, it has to be completed to read it, I would say it's a fair chance that you can start reading it <laughs> this month. And by the time you get to book five, it'll be published. Um, But this one's interesting because I was looking at it and I thought it was just going to be some mermaid thing, which Mm -hmm. it is. Like this book specifically involves mermaids and krakens and blah, blah, blah. But the majority of the books are not like underwater. In fact, uh, the books are about like magic and dragons and witches. And so then like each story, I guess, they're battling like a different thing. And this book, it's like the Kraken, I guess. Okay. But it seems really interesting. I actually might check out this 
series. The only issue is that it is five books, and that is a big commitment for me at the moment. We also have a lot of book commitments at the moment. (laughs) Yes. This third one I'm actually most excited for. I will probably almost definitely read this. It is called Faded Sworn by Kristen L. Hamblin, Mm. and it is the third book, third of three, um, of the Faded Born series. I love um, the name Faded Born. I know, same. It's a YA fantasy. It's got alternate worlds, uh, deep friendships, and a slow burn romance. Gotta have that. And essentially, book one, um, it asks the question, what happens if you fall in love in a world where love is forbidden? Mm. So, like, humans aren't allowed to have emotions yet, and this boy, like, wakes up, and he realizes that he loves his best friend. And then he also realizes like this government that he's working for is a little corrupt and starts having these emotions, but he has to hide it because that's illegal. Like he shouldn't have his emotions yet. This so it feels seems... like a metaphor for something Maybe. or an analogy. Maybe, but it seems really interesting. I like the premise of it. I love that. That's very cool. Yes. Um. And so then one of the new adult releases that I just uh, wanted to highlight that looked particularly interesting is called Flames Like Darkness. Um, And it's a standalone romanticy. And it's said to be perfect for fans of Blood Air and Throne of Glass. I don't think I've ever read Blood Air, but I do love Throne of Glass. And it's dual POV which I think I also appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's between um, um, an heiress to a city who is mistakenly kidnapped and strikes a bargain with her kidnapper. And so you kind of... Oh, interesting. Apparently there's like a forced proximity. You got like fae and humans. Stockholm Syndrome, but sexy. Right. Secret identity, all that stuff. So it seems interesting. Yeah, I like that. So yeah, check out if, you, if you're if you into the fantasy or if you want to dive more into it. These are just going to be some new releases that are that are coming out. All right. Yeah, I like that. I like uh, talking about books that are coming out. Uh-huh. I want to read more books that are coming out, but we have such a backlog of what we, we want to read. We really do. <laughs> and need and to read. A great way to read books that are coming out is to just start unfinished series. <laughs> because then you are... You have to. You really have to. Because you know what? I'm going to make time for the Fourth Wing sequel. Exactly. Because I won't be able to wait. Exactly. So if you just torture yourself in that way, then... Talk about can't hardly wait. (laughs) That's an inside joke. Yes. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up real quick with a few superlatives. We're not going to do all of them. We're going to save some for the end of the series. I wanted to give some superlatives for this book because I think there's some great candidates so, first off, hot take. You got a hot take about this book. How hot is it? I think Taryn needed to portray Jude. I think that needed to happen. Otherwise, mm. Jude wouldn't have been able to distance herself enough to become, like, a spy. Like, there needed to be something that came between them. Mm-hmm. Adding, add a coal to that hot take uh-huh. or jalapeno to that hot take. Uh-huh. I think it could have gone further with it. I think it could have been a bigger betrayal, and I think you could have had something. I think you could have had more of a fallout for Jude. In her right. getting to this position. I like, think it could have been higher. like Taryn being a more active participant in this betrayal? Because all she did was just not tell her. Uh, however, yeah. However you want to do it, I think you could have had Jude make bigger sacrifices to accomplish what she wanted to at the end. She could have lost. She could have had a harder falling out with her sisters. Mm-hmm. Been more isolated. We'll see when the next book how these things play out but i think you could have pushed it even more make it a bigger thing i'm with you but i do agree with you i think that yeah i think that is definitely necessary 
And my hot take is author phoned in the name of the world. Fairyland's not a great name. And it's confusing because they sometimes call it fairy, but then they call fairies fairies. Uh, you know, I think what it is is that she was really trying to get that parallel with the Wonderland. Not worth it. I also just was listening to podcasts about the Wonderland murders, which are about a very different thing. Ooh, yeah, that doesn't sound fun. Let's just say you've seen the movie Boogie Nights. Oh. Based on a true story, kind okay. of. Uh, could this book been improved by a love triangle? This is a new one we're adding. I mean, there kind of is already one. I agree. Again, kind of like my last one, I think it could have pushed it more. I think it could have been a more of a drama with that. There's already a lot happening in the book, so maybe not. But I, I feel like it was a little confusing where the because of the whole deceiving thing. Yeah, I be- never quite knew or felt like anyone was really feeling the way they felt. Right. I don't know that Taryn really understood the extent to which. Um, that's kind of what I mean. Is I don't Locke was playing around with Jude. And I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know what. Taryn knows and I don't understand how much she's understanding of the situation how much is she accepting how much does she know right I feel like you could have made that more clear and made it more of a dramatic moment I agree I agree one item you would keep from this book for real life uh nevermore what is nevermore so nevermore is like basically a fairy drug mm-hmm. uh, that Cardin and his friends are always snorting high <laughs> yeah whatever you do I agree uh, nevermore would have been my pick I would have thought, I thought you might have picked the poison death suite, which Ooh. induces a hundred years of sleep. I vibe with that for sure. I'd, I'd get some sweet sleep. That's for sure. You'd be, you'd be so rested. <laughs> um, I think Nevermore is the right answer, but my backup plan is Nightfell, the sword. Oh yeah. Because it brings really good luck. Cool. Yeah. I, supposedly. Nightfell was one of the options I was choosing from. Also, Fae Fruit, but just like when I'm in hospice. Mm. instead of like a morphine drip just oh yeah. send me out on that fave fruit bro right because i wouldn't want to taste it no. because then i would be searching for that for the rest of my life right exactly but it just give me End a whole banana heck yeah to go out on heck yeah mm-hmm. and then finally your book quote what you got for your yearbook it says um things will be as they always are only more so once again you took my answer <laughs> i literally insisted on us doing these superlatives because i thought that was such a perfect yearbook quote and then i didn't write it right away and i went to the doc and it was already there so once again you're right but i also picked we were children that's good i think that's kind of cool to have in a yearbook i think so too it's kind of cryptic yeah for sure but it's poetic i like it yeah it Not sounds as much deep. as my choice, but I, I do. It does sound deep, yeah. Right. And reflective. If you want to seem mysterious. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We were children. Well, I like the way you say it like that. See, you got to say it like that, though. Uh-huh, That's how uh-huh. it works. <laughs> well, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want more of us, you can find us on the social medias at NSYAPod. That's N-S-Y-A-B-O-D. If you have a... Got, yeah, if you have a question, you can email us at nsyapod at gmail.com. Please do that. Sure can. Our theme music, as always, is by my friend Alex Moon. You can find more of his music on his social medias. And if you want non-original music but curated into a list of songs that is kind of fits the mood and tone of the book you're listening to, you can go to my Spotify page. Just look up Spencer Strait, S-T-R-A-T, like George Strait, now a relation. Uh, I also have a link to it in the podcast description. You can find that playlist. Also playlist for me or on the Dying Girl, Looking for Alaska and other things. So check that out if you like that. Also, 
we wouldn't be a real podcast if we didn't ask you guys to give us five-star reviews, please. Yes, please. We keep that. yelling at Squarespace. We keep sending them letters filled with my blood for them to give us a sponsorship. It is not working. What no. we need is more reviews. Yeah, so, so could you do that? Do that, please. Um, next week we will be, or not next week, next time we will be back with the Wicked King. Yes, book two. Book two in the... Folk of the Air Folk series. Of the but also next week, we'll be back with another mini-sode. We're going to start doing those kind of more relaxed mini-episodes when we can in between books, big books. Yeah, so, so keep you guys tuned. entertained. Keep you hooked like a fairy fruit. But remember, guys, you don't have to be traumatized to want power and control over others. You can also be a sociopath. Yeah. You could just do that. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah. Don't suck. Don't. Don't suck. Please, no. Bye. Bye. Feeling whimsical? A little bit. Our yeah. cat just knocked over my drink. Um, and oh. I feel a little whimsical in that I didn't immediately clean it up. But I've got to do that now. Our cat has the chaos of a of a fairy like creature. He's a little he's a little um he's sealy for sure, but mm, definitely mm-hmm. thrives on the chaos. He likes to see us get all worked up and upset about things. He also ripped my wings off my back once, which was upsetting. <laughs> I, I can still feel their absence. <laughs>